The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to turn our attention to Tanzania, a country we haven't actually focused a lot on over the years, and that is a real big mistake on our part, in part because the importance of Tanzania to China is really starting to grow. And that was evident at the beginning of the year when Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, put Tanzania on the itinerary for his uh, week-long first annual trip of the year. And when he was in uh, Tanzania, he signed a $1.2 billion deal for a pair of Chinese contractors to build uh, phase five of Tanzania's 2,500-kilometer standard gauge railway. And that, again, highlights the interesting dynamics that are happening in Tanzania that are becoming far more important to the Chinese. But again, so much of the attention about transportation, logistics, and all of these things have gone to Kenya, but quietly the Tanzanians have been building out their network. Now, interesting about the infrastructure in, in Tanzania, unlike Kenya, Tanzania so far has not received any loans from the China Exim Bank, as far as I know, to build out their SGR, although there have been a lot of extensive talks. They're building out their SGR in five different tranches. So the first phase did get a $1.46 billion loan from Standard Chartered Bank. And then the deal that Wang Yi signed to build phase five is for 1.2. But remember, that's not financing. That's a construction project. Uh, very important as we talk about Tanzania-China relations, let's just kind of pull back and look at where we are with it. There's about $7 billion of investment in the in the country from the Chinese. That makes them the largest source of FDI. Bilateral trade between the two countries is at about $4 billion. Now, while that sounds great, it's really important to note that there is a massive trade imbalance between the two countries. According to numbers from 2018, we don't have newer numbers yet, uh, Tanzania exported just about $400 million. So you can see the vast majority of trade weighs heavily in China's favor. Now, a lot of what goes back and forth between these two countries is very similar in profile to other African countries. The Chinese sell a lot of machinery, boilers, electronics, vehicles, iron and steel, the heavy equipment that's used to build a lot of the infrastructure. And the Tanzanians export back tobacco, fish, animal products, feed. And interestingly, we're going to talk about soy as well. That's a new development that came out last year. So uh, that is the problem right there. Lots of heavy goods coming in, lots of agricultural products going out. And so uh, it's really interesting. But as I mentioned about soy, last October, the two countries signed uh, what I think is a fascinating deal. So China has been trying to diversify 
some of its soybean sourcing in light because it's having problems with the United States and Brazil where it gets the vast majority of its soy imports. And soy is a very important product for the Chinese, both for human food, but also for animal feed as well. China imports about 103 million tons a year of soy, and they struck a deal to import soy from Tanzania, which is really neat. And Cobus, I remember a couple years ago, one of the topics that we discussed was because the Chinese are trying to replace some of the commodities that they source from again, these countries like Brazil and the United States, where they have very contentious relationships, that presents a huge opportunity for African countries to help try and fill the void. Now, that being said, Tanzania's contribution is so small, so small compared to what the Americans and the Brazilians are doing, but it's a very important first step. Yeah, it's a really important indicator. And, and I can imagine lots of other African countries are trying to get in on that game as well. Um, Tanzania is also really important, uh, you know, on, on a few other fronts, one being the the development of, of the, the Indian Ocean coast as a, as this kind of zone of China-Africa connection, particularly like a rapid numbers of uh, kind of port developments right there, up and down that coast, um, including also uh, new emerging kind of natural gas zones, you know, kind of off the coast of, of most Mozambique particularly. And then, um, you know, there's this also like issues around uh, Islamic insurgency in northern Mozambique that 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 has, you know, where they, they sh it shares a border with Tanzania. Um, so that's raising a lot of a lot of kind of concern in the sub region. Um, and I think the the kind of relationship between Mozambique and Tanzania, you know, kind of needs more discussion. And then, um, you know, the, the, the way that China fits into all of that also needs more discussion. Well, we want to get a perspective today on Sino-Tanzanian relations to better understand, again, why did Wang Yi go there? Where are we in the current dynamic? And for that, I am so happy to have on the show for the first time. Uh, Muhyiddin Shangwei is a political science lecturer at the University of Dar es Salaam. He's an expert in Sino-Tanzanian affairs. He tweets about it and writes about it extensively. Uh, and he also completed his PhD right in my old neighborhood at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Uh, Shangwei, a very good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Eric. Glad to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I ran through a few of the statistics about the current state of Sino-Tanzanian affairs. You wrote a summary of Wang Yi's visit when he went in, in January. Let's start our conversation off on where we are right now and why you thought that Wang Yi decided to put uh, Tanzania on the itinerary. Well, it's not the first time that he's here. He was here. Uh, but uh, I think this time around it was more interesting because of what has uh, transpired in the last uh, few years, especially since uh, the Magufuli administration came to, into office, uh, where uh, the government of Tanzania has taken some decision which has been interpreted as, uh, as anti-Chinese uh, sort of uh, decisions. And uh, of course, the biggest one is uh, uh, putting a stop to the construction of the Bagamoyo port project which attracted a lot of uh, attention. And we understand the geoeconomic uh, uh, importance of the port to the Chinese. So it was kind of, uh, it was a big deal. It was big news and, and it really attracted a lot of uh, local and international attention. But also, of course, we know the construction of SGR. We know that the Chinese were the front runners in the, in the project and a Chinese company had already 
uh, was about to start the construction and then when this administration came into office they that company was accused of malpractices and 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 the government went in favor of a Turkish uh, company so uh, with mindful of these latest developments with regards to Tanzanian government it was interesting to see what the Chinese diplomatic response to to, to that and really observers have been saying that oh maybe this administration is becoming anti-chinese in its uh, in, in, in its policy uh, so it was always interesting to see the, how the Chinese would uh, respond to that and then uh, the, the the visit of uh, foreign minister Wang Yi was coincided because Tanzania had just had uh, a general election last year in October and there was a lot of criticism leveled against uh, uh, the Tanzanian government accused of uh, the ruling party was accused of rigging the election uh, and human rights violation, the discrimination of the opposition and, and, and suppression of the opposition and so forth. So, and again, this criticism was mainly and was coming from local actors, but as well as uh, notably from uh, Western Western governments. Uh, but the Chinese government was quick to congratulate uh, Magufuli for his re-election and was... Uh, didn't have any problem with the electoral process and and therefore one year's visit was also kind of uh, uh, can be also seen as an endorsement of what had transpired in that election that uh, uh, the, the, the relationship between the two countries is still stable the relationship between uh, the two parties the CPC and the ruling party Chama Chama Pindos here in, uh, in Tanzania is still is still stable so it also had uh, that symbolic uh, meaning you mentioned um, the Bakamoyo port. You, you know, for people who haven't been following the story intently, if you can unpack a little bit, like why the Bakamoyo port was so important and why why that controversy, you know, kind of resonated so strongly. First of all, the the project was announced by uh, President Xi Jinping when he visited Tanzania in 2013, and that was a uh, uh, that was the time when the, the this the Belt and Road uh, in, uh, initiative was announced, and he came to Tanzania and announced this huge like mega project. Uh, so it was seen as a as a very important project as far as the Belt and Road initiative is concerned because uh, first of all it was major. It was like uh, it was going to make Bagamoyo like the largest part in this region, uh, and by that it was also going. To, uh, to be seen as a as a gateway, uh, uh, and uh, with the current uh, infrastructure programs that are going on in the country, there was uh, a view that uh, with the construction of this port, which uh, could, uh, uh, with the huge capacity in terms of handling shipping and and, and so forth, uh, it was also opening up uh, to the interior part of uh, of the region and opening up to other countries such as uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, but Rwanda. Uh, Burundi, so it was major in 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 that I mean in that perspective that uh, being a very strategic I mean important to, to Chinese uh, geoeconomic interest, uh, not just in Tanzania but it's also in the region due to its capacity and you know the the scale of the project was huge, and there was also going to be like an industrial park you know so it was really important uh, uh, not just for China but I think for 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 Tanzania and the region as well. Well, let me flesh this out a little bit more because this Bagamayo port deal was very interesting and it caught a lot of people's attention. In part, Kobus, I'd like to get your take on this as well. One of the reasons that it caught people's attention is because any time a leader like John Magafuli or Mohamed Mahathir in Malaysia 
stands up to the Chinese in a very aggressive way. Uh, it plays right into the narratives of African agency, that we're finally pushing back on foreigners and the Chinese in particular. Certainly plays into some of the U.S. European yes. narratives on that the Chinese are exploitative and taking you know advantage of Africans. And here's a leader who's not taking any poop from anybody. So Magafuli was you know celebrated very much on Twitter and social media and in political think tank circles. Uh, let me kind of just bring everybody up to date. So this deal happened back in October 2019. This is when it all kind of exploded. Loaded. And uh, Michael Fuli then kind of really pushed back hard on China Merchants Group. So here are the five counterpoints that uh, Magafuli kind of said. So China merchants will get just a 33-year lease instead of the 99-year lease that China merchants had originally demanded in the first agreement. So that was point number one. Point number two was there will be no tax holidays and China merchants will be subjected to all taxes as determined by the Tanzania Revenue Authority. So again, they didn't like some of the tax holidays that were in the deal. China merchants will not be granted any special status and will be required to pay market rates for water and electricity just like any other investor. Uh, number four, uh, this is the pushback from the Magofudi government. China merchants' holdings will not be allowed to run any other businesses within the port with the government's, uh, without the government's position, uh, permission. The government will conduct regular inspections to ensure compliance, just as they would with any other investor. So interesting, these points that they're bringing up here. And then number five, the government will retain mm -hmm. the right to develop other ports, even if those new facilities are in direct competition with the Bagamayo port. So you can see that that was the position that Magufuli was driving a hard bargain with the Chinese. Uh, it has, we haven't heard anything since October 2019. Now, some people even speculated that he was so angry over this deal that this represented a break in the China-Tanzania relationship, that this was it. You know, this was really a, an insult to the Chinese, and this was going to be a break. I never saw it that way. Again, I see it that he's trying to, just to negotiate a better deal. Talk to us about the politics behind it. Why is Magafuli pushing back so hard? Is it just because they're getting a raw deal, and it's as he said, I'm not going to take a crappy deal? Or are there politics that we're not seeing that are motivating Magafuli to negotiate this way? Well, let me let me start by saying that uh, you, you you say there was a there was like a speculation on the the tone of the, the that the president's statement. It wasn't speculation. Like he sounded like very angry, and he called the deal like uh, uh, he he called it exploitative, and said only madman would agree to those uh, those those conditions that were given by the Chinese side. So he was really really angry. Uh, and uh, yes, there hasn't been any. Uh, significant development since 2019, but I'm aware that the official position of the government is uh, from the Chi the Tanzanian government, but even from the Chinese side, is that the talks are still uh, ongoing. So it's not off the table. It's something that is uh, still uh, uh, being 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 discussed. But coming to your whether there were some politics behind, like local politics behind uh, Magufuli's decision. It's, it's difficult to say, but uh, th there, was a, there was a, for some this talk about the former president comes from Bagamoyo, and, and, and this might bring uh, analog with uh, the, the the Sri Lankan case, the Ham, oh, I, I forgot the name, the Hamadota. project in a, Yeah, the Hamadota uh, port. Exa exactly, that was the hometown of the president, and, 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 and in Tanzanian case, it was also, it was the same case, like Bagamoyo is like hometown to uh, uh, former President Kikwe. So there's a, 
that talk, but it wasn't like at the political level. This is just people, ordinary people, talking about that. Like maybe uh, there was no necessity to have that uh, that project. But again, I think it's also, and also the background to this was uh, the, the, the negative, uh, sort of like a negative. Uh, press that China was was getting across the continent, and 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 of course the Sri Lankan case was was also uh, being uh, talked about even even in Tanzania that maybe we're also going to be another Sri Lanka, and the general general negative press that China was getting uh, uh, across uh, across the continent, and uh, this this administration the Magufuli administration came at at the backdrop of uh, because initially there was this impression that this the country was. Uh, uh, wasn't doing well in terms of, uh, I mean, economically, and, and there was this perception that uh, uh, the foreign investors have been uh, ripping, uh, you know, a lot of benefits from 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 investment in this country. So that's that, that's the that's the backdrop of 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 uh, uh, the, the background, like at the time when this administration came into office. So it's all like the, naturally there was a necessity to kind of address those those perception in Kiswahili. There's a saying that. Shambala Bibi, which means grandmother's garden, a grandmother's farm, where you everyone goes there and they can pick fruits, they can take anything from the farm, and grandmother will be fine with that. So they, they used to make Tanzania uh, to to, ref, to make that reference when they talk about Tanzania. That come on, we have been uh, on the receiving end of foreign direct investment. We don't get anything, and you know. And then uh, so I think there was a that kind politically there, there was a kind of uh, that need that necessity to to come out as a country and try to stand up against and it didn't just happen against the chinese there was also some uh, re, legal reforms with regard to the mining sector and this involved uh, western western uh, companies as well so it wasn't just uh, against against china one of the points of business for, um, when Wang Yi visited Tanzania um, recently was the writing off of old Chinese loans to, to Tanzania. And I was very intrigued to see that one of those loans still related to the Tazara Railway between Zambia and, and Tanzania, like, you know, the, the classic um, Chinese infrastructure prov- like um, gift, uh, you know, during during the Mao era. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, about the, this, you know, the, the kind of legacy of that railway and, and how... How, how Tanzanians see it um, and, and the kind of importance of, of this kind of remaining debt and, and getting it written off. I think the, the, the importance of the, the, the real uh, Tazara, we call it Tazara, uh, it's probably more symbolic. Of course, it has benefited people in terms of movement of people and goods and providing that much needed connectivity between uh, Zambia and Tanzania, but also the people in between uh, Within Tanzania, for example, and of course with uh, in 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 Zambia, so that kind of connectivity which was needed, uh, but economically hasn't been uh, hasn't been viable, and uh, I, I think uh, the Chinese are trying to because because of this this historic uh, or this symbolic meaning that the project had. Uh, much as the project is, is still uh, is not economically viable, it does it doesn't uh, benefit uh, the, the two countries uh, economically. But they're they're trying to uphold to that legacy and 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 trying to 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 say this is what we did in the past. And and uh, a, a lot of people actually didn't know that there was a loan, uh, you know, with regard to the construction of the, of, of the railway. But now it's I mean it's becoming uh, known, especially with the one year's visit and. I have met people who are like, oh, so we, it was a loan. They didn't know, like the financing of the project, how it how it went about. So it's 
it's still it's still uh, at that level of symbolic meaning of this of this historical ties between the between China and and Africa and as I said economically there's a lot of problems and uh, with, with regard to the to the operation of the railway. Well, while we're on the subject of loans, let's take a quick look at the China Africa Research Initiatives loan database and what the profile is for Tanzania. It actually is again one of these case studies here that that of there's not a Chinese debt issue in Tanzania. Two billion dollars, twelve loans over almost twenty years. Uh, more than half of that, at one point two billion, was given in uh, 2012 for power projects. Very little on the transportation side. Again, it's very important to reiterate that the deal that Wang Yi helped to oversee that was signed uh, for two Chinese construction companies to build the new standard gauge railway, uh, that is not a loan. That is, the Chinese are not financing that. They are contractors only on that. So let's talk about the standard gauge railway. It got a lot of attention in Kenya when they built theirs for about $6 billion. Uh, Nigeria is building standard gauge railways as well, but those are being financed by the Chinese. Uh, But uh, Tanzania is not using Chinese money to build their standard gauge railway. Is that because the Chinese did not want to loan the money, or is it because the Tanzanians didn't want to take the money from the Chinese? I think going back to the to the project on the initial days of the project, there was uh, there were talks about uh, getting a loan from the China Exim Bank, uh, and I think there was a relatively small amount of money which was loaned uh, for for feasibility study or something like that at the initial stage of the of of the, of the project. So I, I I think that the Chinese were willing to 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 finance to provide a finance for 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 the project in terms of loans. Uh, but also, uh, and then again, when this administration came into power, and, and uh, earlier I mentioned that background of negative uh, perception of Chinese investment uh, in, in the continent, and then uh, in no time we saw what happened in, in, in Kenya with regard to the, the, the SGR project and the amount of money that was loaned from China, uh, and the fact that the Chinese, uh, the, the Kenyan government uh, was uh, could not pay back the money or was not in a position to be able to pay to, to pay back the money so I, I, in a way you could say the Tanzanian government or the administration has learned uh, lessons from other uh, countries particularly particularly Kenya and and probably thought that it was wise and and I think it was uh, to try to find other sources of uh, finance to, uh, to other sources of funds to finance the project rather than uh, uh, probably depending on on Chinese uh, loans, which you know had brought a lot of problems uh, in many other African countries. So it was a uh, you, you could say it was a wise move by the government to sort of not get involved in, into that uh, debate about Chinese uh, debt sustainability or debt trap diplomas, which of course has been uh, deconstructed. But yeah, that that was the context, and it might have influenced the decision by the government to not to loan money from China. But I. Think I think the Chinese were, were willing to, to, to loan the money. Uh, and even now, as, as, as we speak, there's a section, uh, because this the SGR is on like five phases. And uh, the recent deal was, uh, was, was about the fifth phase. So you still have the fourth phase, which has not been, uh, uh, the construction has not started. And the, the, the money is, is, is not there. And there are still talks that uh, between the Tanzanian government uh, and Chinese uh, Exim Bank financial. Uh, if it's not Exim Bank, then it, I think it's Chinese Exim Bank. Yeah, That's it is the hopeful. Chinese Exim Bank. China Exim Bank. Y- yes, and President Magufuli uh, uh, said he was hopeful that the 
soon they'll probably reach an agreement uh, and so that the Chinese uh, could provide uh, uh, a loan for the construction of this, the fourth phase now, which hasn't started. It's worth pointing out, though, that the discussions between Magafuli and the China Exim Bank have been going on for several years now. And what we've seen, though, in recent years, and this is according to some of the new data that's been coming out about Chinese overseas lending from the two major policy banks, the China Development Bank and the China Exim Bank, has fallen considerably uh, from $75 billion in 2016 down to $4 billion last year. So there is a possibility that the clock has run out on Magafuli's deals with the Chinese or negotiations with the Chinese over this financing, that they may not be any more interested in funding the railway, that just given what we've seen in the drop-off of, of financing from the Exim Bank and the China Development Bank. Exactly. That's a very interesting point that you are, you are raising, because times have already changed for, for China, especially. Uh, they are, you, as you are aware, they are kind of reforming their lending f- framework, and now is that uh, taking uh, debt sustainability in, into account. They also have to look at the viability of the projects that they are funding so that they don't run into troubles, as we have seen elsewhere. Uh, so I, I think you're right. I'm not sure whether the time has run out for, for Tanzania, but it could be the case as well as you put it. So that's a very interesting point that you raised. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa-China Reporting Project at the Wits University Journalism Department in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za. You've, you've written about Chinese soft power in Africa a lot, and I was wondering how the the discussion of Chinese soft power is looking from the Tanzanian perspective. Like, how what are some of the major drivers and some of the major dynamics in Chinese soft power in Tanzania? I think with Tanzania is not different from the rest of Africa because what I've seen is that as the more the Chinese get involved in. Uh, in terms of foreign direct investment in these countries, the more sometimes friction that we see, and we have seen that this in uh, in many countries, Kenya, our neighbors being uh, being included. And that's that's uh, the Tanzanians can very easily relate to the stories coming from Kenya about China uh, than probably say West Africa, which is uh, so the Kenyans being our neighbors make more sense, and they can relate to those uh, to, to those stories. There's still uh, traditional. Mechanisms of, of, of soft power that are still in place, like the cultural uh, aspects, uh, talk of uh, Confucius Institute, but also uh, academic and cultural exchanges and, and the visibility of Chinese uh, presence in many aspects of Tanzanian uh, life. Uh, Chinese restaurants uh, becoming visible. I mean, increasingly visible, but but also, as I said, uh, the Confucius Institute, uh, but also the 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 the, the visit such as a one year's visit. He's coming. He came to Tanzania at the time when the uh, the COVID nineteen, where the uh, you know a lot of people are not traveling, but you know he took that decision to come to Tanzania. So in terms of Chinese foreign policy, projecting itself as a uh, as a good friend of Africa, as a good friend of Tanzania, they still make sense in terms of soft power for, I think, for many Tanzanians. What would you say, and again, there's no real way to tell, but what would you say the public perception is uh, among 
you know, in the big cities like Dar es Salaam uh, towards the Chinese of the guy on the street. Because oftentimes there's a big discrepancy between how people on the street feel about the Chinese and how the governing elites feel about the Chinese. I suspect that the governing elites, based on the reception that Wang Yi received, uh, are quite happy with the Chinese. There doesn't seem to be too much daylight in between the two. But oftentimes in civil society and on the street, the public perception can be different. Tell us a little bit about what you sense public perception of the Chinese to be. It's a mixed bag, I would say. It's a mixed bag. Uh, you talk about civil society. Of course, the, the, the Chinese approach has uh, one of the criticisms leveled against Chinese uh, approach is that it's, it's, it's not uh, consultative enough. It's not broader in its approach to include, uh, especially to operate outside, beyond the state or beyond governments, by including non-state actors uh, in, the, in, their, in their activities. So there's a, there's a complaint. Uh, not just civil society, but for example, from the opposition political parties in Tanzania, they look at China, they think it's more biased in favor of the ruling party. Uh, and then in the ordinary people, it's, it's, uh, as you say, it's difficult to tell, but I'm sure there are some, some of the incidents that have happened, especially in recent times, have in a way have, uh, have, have an effect in their perception of, of, of China. A friend of mine uh, sent me a picture today, actually, this morning, uh, like a, a local hospital where they put a, a banner uh, with regard to COVID, like... Uh, which is telling people how to take necessary precaution to you know to protect themselves, and they say the the name for COVID was like the China Corona virus, you, you know, which is uh, I was surprised. I was like, this is in Tanzania. I say, yeah, it's like from a local hospital. I don't know where. <clears throat> now, when people see that, and and this the whole idea that this virus came from China, which is you know. Uh, as we know, you know, I mean, the, the framing is, is is very very problematic. But like the, for the ordinary people, when they see that, and uh, of course the stories that came out from China, uh, how the, with the regard to the treatment of Africans who were in China during the outbreak, um, regardless whether they were facts or they just uh, you know overblown the incidents, but I think they affect. Uh, ordinary people's perception, but also the whole narrative and the bad press that China has been getting, the dead trap diplomacy, and even today I was, I was, I was going through my, my, my Twitter, and there's an opposition MP who, who tweeted about, actually, he, he said, if I can quote, he said, like, uh, uh, the Chinese are, are worse colonizers than than whites, like the Western colonizers, because uh, through loans and, and, and financial assistance and, and grants, they take over uh, the, uh, these poor countries and, and, and seize assets. And he was making, again, he was making reference to Sri Lanka. Now, there's a lot of problems with that, uh, with that narrative and framing in terms of uh, separating the facts and the myth and, you know, but for the ordinary people when they hear such stories and and there are stories about Zambia coming from Zambia the Chinese are taking over the electricity company they are all over the place so I think they have in a way shaped the people's perception and Tanzanians cannot be immune from from, from that so I'll say it's a, it's a mixed bag but probably with regard to uh, I mean recent developments uh, it, it might be probably uh, I, I think the perception uh, has been fairly negative maybe 
you know, kind of Tanzania is, is is such a key country already, like for several years in in the planning and and the the original mapping of of the Belt and Road Initiative. You know, it was it always featured, you know, in in those original maps, um, you know, circulated by by Xinhua several years ago. Um, do you have an idea of of what the perception of the Belt and Road Initiative is among ordinary Tanzanians, and like a whether how much awareness there is of it, and then you know, kind of what what they think of it as you know, kind of as uh, the way that the Tanzania fits into the larger, a larger kind of frame. Yeah, so for, for, for ordinary people, I think uh, when you see China being involved heavily, for example, in the infrastructure uh, projects, but also in the manufacturing sector, for example, uh, and then now we also see in, in, in agriculture, I think, I think there is that optimism that uh, uh, China being uh, sort of like a reliable economic partner, where, for example, you, you, earlier, probably talk about this later, about the soy, soybeans and, and, and cassava and, and cashew nuts. There is an increasing demand in China, uh, and there's uh, for for these uh, agricultural produces, and, and therefore, I think that in a way make people to have this impression that China is a good trading partner and provides us with an opportunity, uh, especially now because it's beginning to trickle down or to include. Uh, uh, farmers who are, for most cases, smallholder, smallholders, farmers, and, and and therefore I think that uh, uh, in a way strengthens China's or this perception that China is a uh, is is an important ally. And in Tanzania now they're talking about industrialization. I think China's position in that uh, drive, industrial industrialization drive, I think becomes apparent even for ordinary people. Yeah, I was very excited about the the soybean deal only because I think it really is a good fit. It really helps the smallholder farmer in places like Tanzania. It helps on the trade balance issues. It's something that China needs. But again, the amount of output that the Tanzanians are doing for a country as large as China is is quite small. So this is really more to benefit the Tanzanian side than it is to, to really change the equation in China. But I think that's, again, we need to see more of this and, and to try to make these efforts on balancing the trade. So in that sense, I think Tanzania is, is ahead of the game and, and it would be great to see other African countries to follow that example and to negotiate very similar deals. Uh, let's kind of start to wrap up our discussion a little bit looking forward. China has a lot of different interests in Tanzania. We've talked about transportation, construction, obviously agriculture, uh, there's there's the BRI that that Cobus brought up. Where do you see this relationship going in the next, uh, say, one to three years? Before I, I go to that, because you mentioned uh, soybeans, I just want to mention that uh, in the FOCAC framework, uh, there's uh, there's a policy to support agricultural development in the uh, in the continent. And with regard to soy, soybeans, is very interesting because uh, ten years ago, or a little over ten years ago, China sent. Uh, uh, experts, agricultural experts, like 100 experts to Africa, and Tanzania got three of them, and two actually focused on uh, this, what they say, uh, non-traditional crops, and soybeans was one of them. And now 10 years later, we, we see this deal where Tanzania can now export uh, uh, soybeans to, to, to China. So it's it, sometimes people say maybe some of these things, uh, one of the criticisms says that oh, maybe the Chinese policy is not coordinated. But with regard to soybeans, I think that kind of coordination and planning, uh, so like first of all, you provide uh, Tanzania with experts on these products, and then a decade later, you strike this deal. And I think the challenge now has been uh, uh, on, on production, on quality, and as well as, uh, as quantity. 
of of these products so so as to be able to you know to export to to China and probably other emerging markets uh, uh, going going forward. So that that's just one point I wanted to to mention. Now with regard to Chinese involvement in Tanzania or the relationship between. Uh, Tanzania and China in the next few years. Uh, of course, it's going to depend on a lot, uh, a lot of uh, uh, factors, uh, including the fact that uh, the changing environment, both inside China as well as in African countries such as uh, such as Tanzania. It is, it, for example, we, earlier we were talking about the lending policy, the Chinese lending policy, which is now changing. So ten years ago, we are talking about. The discussion was different, and today is different, and probably is going to be different in the next uh, in the next few few years. But uh, this thesis that the more the Chinese get involved in in, in into uh, different aspects of of of, of life in in these African countries, the more we're going to see new challenges uh, challenges emerging, which I think is a natural progression. It's a natural thing to happen in any any kind of relationship. Just also looking forward, how 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 is thinking in, in Tanzania going about other major powers that they that they're interested in, in engaging with you know particularly particularly emerging powers like we, which which other ones except for China are, are starting to play a role in Tanzania again also it's, it's, it's kind of dif- difficult to say but uh, for example if you speak of the, the, the Americans there's with regard to what has happened in the last four years and the the American policy of disengagement, if you like, uh, from 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 African and the kind of the political language that came of the American leadership, which was not very, in, in some in, in many cases, were not very well received by by African uh, African people, not just Tanzanians, but also elsewhere. So you could feel that the Americans have lost that. Age, but of course, there's a new administration. is interesting to see how that's gonna have, it's gonna uh, affect that uh, or have an implication in that regard. Th- there is that, uh, there is still that uh, sort of like a colonial legacy or colonial hangover when it comes to people's perception with regard to Western uh, countries. And and in Tanzania, it's interesting because that has been fueled by the political uh, language of this administration. There's a word you need to check out. Swahili word for is called mabeberu. You might want to, to check that out. It's very popular on Twitter, but and it has become very pronounced by this administration. Basically, uh, mabeberu means imperialist, and and when they say that, they mean the Western Western government. And and so recently, I think that uh, because of the the administration tendency to use this word regularly. Uh, uh, against Western interests. I think it might have affected people's perception, uh, sort of like revoking those memories of colonialism and imperialism. Uh, but again, it doesn't necessarily give other non-Western allies an advantage because there are also other dynamics and complexities with regard to those uh, uh, actors such as such as uh, such as China. But it it, it has added to 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 that to those uh, dynamics in terms of uh, people's interpretation of uh, of events, but also people's interpretation of these foreign agents in the in the, in the country. Mohidin Changwe is a political science lecturer at the University of Dar es Salaam and an expert on Sino-Tanzanian affairs. We're so grateful that you took some time out of your busy schedule to join us today to tell us a little bit more about the landscape of what China is doing in Tanzania and also how 
President Magufuli and the Tanzanian political system regards the Chinese. So absolutely fascinating. You are very, very active on Twitter. And really, I highly recommend following Shang Wei's Twitter feed. Shang Wei, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's Shang Wei Liberia. It's uh, at Shang Wei Liberia. That, that's, my, that's my Twitter. Great. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so everybody can follow you on Twitter. And you're commenting on a lot of China-Africa, China-Tanzanian affairs, which is absolutely uh, fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Kobus, I'm so glad that we had the chance to focus on Tanzania in part because it's getting us away from some of the big countries. We spent a lot of time this year looking at Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia. But really what's interesting is, is what's happening in these smaller countries. And, and it brought up this, you know, the timing of our conversation brought up this interesting exchange that happened in the United States Senate where Linda Thomas-Greenfield is going through her confirmation hearings at the time of this recording. By the time you listen to this, she may already be confirmed as the next United States ambassador to the United Nations. Now, uh, for those of you not familiar with Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she's a former assistant secretary of state for African affairs. That's the top U.S. diplomat for Africa. She's been in the State Department for many decades. And she was asked a question about China-Africa from Senator Mitt Romney. And she said, here's what she said, and I'd like to get your take on it in the context of what Shanghai said about the fact that it's not a binary relationship between the West and China, that just because they don't necessarily like the Chinese at the civil society level means that they implicitly like the US and Europe. So listen to what she said. I have seen over the 35 years of my career an increased amount of activity by the Chinese. But where they have failed, and we consistently see reports that indicate this, that Africans still prefer, if at all possible, to work with the United States, and we need to take advantage of that sentiment and be more proactive in our engagements on the African continent. When they have a choice, they choose us. That was what Linda Thomas-Greenfield said in her Senate Foreign Relations confirmation hearing. And I was thinking about that when we were talking to Shang Wei, and he was saying, you know, nah, maybe it's not that clear cut. And again, the way that U.S. framing of China-Africa is often very binary, and I think Shang Wei and Tanzania complicate that narrative quite a bit. Yes, I agree. I mean, you know, it, it it's also a thing that that you know when they have a choice, but the the the, the cases where there is a one to one kind of choice between uh, you know Chinese actors and U.S. actors is actually relatively rare. I think, um, you know, it's it's more, more frequently the, the you know kind of the the Chinese are offering offering things that you know that the Americans aren't particularly focused on, um, you know, and uh, you know so 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 you know I I think she has a she has a point in the sense that I think there is a kind of a legacy, um, a form of soft power, you know, kind of that that just just kind of a, a kind of a halo of of the idea that that certain American American or Western companies um, represent kind of high level quality, you know, um, and so so I think that 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 is true in, in in case in some cases in Africa, but but the 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 cases where those companies are in direct competition with Chinese competitors are actually so rare that. That, you know that that I don't know that I would necessarily be able to to kind of like generalize it on as, as a kind of a general a, a general choice towards the West. Let's talk about the railways very quickly. It's a very interesting experiment that's underway in Tanzania to number one to 
self-finance as much of this as possible. Also, the dream of building a pan-East African railway network, which was something that originally was supposed to go into Kenya, but now John Magafuli is trying to get that where the ports of Dar es Salaam and Bagamoyo connect into these new SGR networks that then go out into Burundi, uh, Uganda, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and all the way into Rwanda as well. That is the Magafuli dream on all of this. He is pushing forward very fast on it. But I think Kenya does offer a cautionary tale about investing billions and billions of dollars into railways that may not have the return on investment in the near term. And then they become what the concern is today, at least in Kenya, is that they become these white elephants that are sitting out there draining huge amounts of money without actually generating the economic return that many had hoped for. Magafuli seems to be building these railroads at a much cheaper cost. Uh, he's going slower than what the uh, what Kenyatta did in Kenya. And in some ways, as you pointed out in our discussion, it does provide an interesting contrast. I tend to think that the clock has expired on the accessibility of Chinese financing for this, which may actually not be that bad for the, for the for the Tanzanians. It may be healthier for them to not use Chinese money for these things based on what we've seen in Kenya. Yeah, if, if it's about, you know, kind of, it, 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 they seem to be focusing on, as you say, on, on, on self-financing, which is which is an, uh, in, an interesting choice. Um, and I think maybe a more sustainable one, you, you know, kind of like, obviously in, in, in Kenya is, is, I think, is a negative example or, or a kind of cautionary tale in, in, in several respects. One being, you know, the danger of having, of, of the, the opacity of these kind of negotiations leading to local and and Chinese actors kind of padding the contracts, um, and I think you know kind of Kenya is particularly kind of tragic example of, of, of that problem. And and if the Tanzanians are, are a lot, they, they do seem to be a lot more hard nosed about this issue. So you know so so I think that that's encouraging. I think also that the the the, the complication of uh, as you say like right at the moment a lot of this a lot of the on the Kenyan side a lot of these expansions are kind of functioning as white elephants and i think you know kind of in the longer term though that the, the more the more rail in east africa and particularly the more cross border rail there is the more robust the system becomes you know so things that are that are kind of reading as white elephants now may well be like integral you know kind of connectors in the future um you know this this dream of 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 cross border connection in east africa in the long run this dream will make money you know it's just it's it's the the kind of the the intermediate kind of phase of trying to get those connections up that's so that's so difficult but once once they are for example like real like you know kind of um relatively you know kind of re- relatively efficient ways of connecting between the DRC and and a port in in Tanzania for example that will be profitable you know there, there's a lots of things to sell in the DRC lots of things to sell from the DRC you know so 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 in the longer run one one can see this making economic sense but i think in the short run it's it's where is where the difficulty lies. Well, think about this, that cobalt exports out of the Democratic Republic of Congo all have to flow through South Africa. And because there's been a choke point now in South Africa because of the lockdowns due to the pandemic, the volume of exports out of the DRC are slowed. And the the Chinese, for example, are not buying as much cobalt simply because they can't get it out of the country. So if there was an alternate route to export out of the Democratic Republic of Congo points east to either Dar es Salaam or to Bagamayo and not be dependent on South African ports, as you you rightly point out, that that would definitely enhance the economic opportunities there. And I also don't think that the criticisms of the Kenyan railway are altogether legitimate coming from 
from uh, U.S. and European and Japanese stakeholders, in part because the German railway network is still being subsidized to the tune of $18 billion a year. The New York subway is subsidized. Amtrak is subsidized. I don't know that many rail systems around the world that are actually profitable. And so if the idea was that the SGR in Kenya was supposed to be profitable within the first five, 10 years, well, that's a measure that hasn't worked in, in countries you know, that have had railways for a century. So I'm not entirely sure that's a fair criticism. What the idea of the railroads, though, is to improve the entire economy as a whole. And I think that's really what we have to be focusing on. So, Kobus, when we look at Tanzania, what do you think about in terms of the Belt and Road? This is one of these countries where it has a lot of potential to be a beneficiary of the Belt and Road. Clearly, it's got port access. It's got access into some of the mining zones. A lot of things that would appeal to the Chinese, but we haven't seen a ton of activity related to the BRI in Tanzania, like in most African countries. So a lot of talk about the BRI, but the vast majority of African countries don't get any extra investment, haven't really benefited all that much. Do you think that there's really a lot of potential for a country like Tanzania to benefit from the BRI? I think in general terms, yes, there is there is some some opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it depends on, on to which extent this actually translates into investment and and, and funding. Um, but I think one one of the one of the issues of, of the BRI that I think is, is needs more more attention in Africa, particularly in East Africa, is the the BRI's uh, potential to connect East Africa to other more local powers. You know, BRI um, infrastructure investment doesn't only connect countries to to China. You know, it connects them to other countries along the BRI as well. Um, so you know, so so in the case of in the case of East Africa, that means connecting more more solidly to to the Middle East um, and to India as well. Um, even though, of course, India is not a BRI member, but but you know, kind of to, to connecting to South Asia as a kind of a development development co- connection to 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 the Middle East, and then on that you know, kind of en route, then you know, then also in, in the longer in the, the longer scheme, you know, kind of connecting to China. So so I think I think that you know, thinking of of the BRI in that sense. I think you know, kind of reveals how it could start making a lot more sense to particularly to East Africa because because they're so they're so kind of key to to the the connections between um, between China and Europe and the connections between China and, and the West more generally. Let's leave our discussion there for now, and it's one of these topics again that we'd like to invite you to tell us. What do you want to hear more about on the show? Do you want to hear more about countries like Tanzania, the smaller countries? Uh, we want to hear from you if there's a particular topic or region that interests you most. We're so easy to get a hold of. Eric at ChinaAfricaProject.com. That's E-R-I-C. And then, of course, you can get Cobus, C-O-B-U-S, at ChinaAfricaProject.com. Also, a big shout out to all of our new subscribers to our daily email newsletter. A lot of you have started the new year with a new subscription, and we're just so happy to have you on board. If you're interested in getting a daily digest of what's going on in Africa, all of the analysis, the most comprehensive analysis really anywhere in the world, uh, diplomats, investment bankers, uh, politicians, you name it, are reading this thing. And we're just so happy to have, uh, you know, so many new subscribers in the new year to join us again. A big, big thank you for that. Uh, go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Uh, subscriptions start at $7 a month for students and teachers, and $15 a month for everybody else. Uh, Again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me anytime, and I'd be happy to answer them. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. Until then, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. 
or follow the guys on Twitter. Eric's at Iolanda, and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project and to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to ChinaAfricaProject.com. Project.com.